0: Good to see you. I know last week I told you that uh, Pastor Alistair would be preaching today. I uh, lied. No, not really. <laughs> um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think it was around Easter, I came, I was pretty sick, and I said, you know, we don't, we don't call in sick, we crawl in sick. But when you have what Alistair has, you definitely, definitely call in sick. So we'll be praying for him, we'll pray for him in a minute, um, but uh, we are going to um, pause what we were going to do, um, what we're still going to do is have... Uh, Pastor Alistair Lord willing, preached the Beatitudes next week. Um, I'm kind of going to take a little pause on on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but still having to do with uh, some some deep things that relate to uh, Christ and uh, and the Gospels. And I'm I'm hoping to, um, that you'll be blessed from what I have been blessed with over the last several months as I've been studying this together. But it is good to be here in the house of God. Uh, we are going to just pause right now and uh, and quiet our hearts. I'm going to quiet my heart, and uh, we're going to, to pray. We're going to pray um, for all kinds of different things. So I'm going to let you just have some silence for uh, 30 seconds or so, just to pray what you want uh, silently as you will, and what I want silently as I will, and then I'll, I'll pray for us, okay? So let's, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Lord, everything in this world seems to battle for the attention of our hearts. God, as we have come here today, I ask and pray that you would help us to quiet our heart, God, and to yield our heart to you. And God, that our heart would not be turned over to another, for you alone are worthy. God, whatever we came in here with this morning, whatever was on our heart, in our minds, whatever sin we dragged in with us, Whatever preferences we are holding on to, that I pray we would surrender that to you. We would surrender that to you because you are good and you are gracious. And God, you are the one who brings rest. We need rest, Lord. God, as we think about, I know many in our own church family who, who are sick and, and very sick, Lord, um, that I, I pray that you would be near. I pray that you would be comforting them. God, that you as the great physician would be healing their bodies. God, bring about healing in their lives, not only physically, but emotionally, God, and spiritually, that they would trust in you and turn to you and run to you. God, you give strength to the powerless. We ask for that. God, there are many with with more than just illnesses, but God, diseases or uh, more chronic pain, God, cancer, things that we suffer with that'll that are, are very testing of our faith. And, God, I, I pray for those. I pray, again, that your healing touch would be upon them. They would know that you are there. They would, they would draw near to you, God. And, and God, in a time where uh, we feel the pressure from all around us, God, and, and maybe especially on, on these folks, it feels so much more personal now. God, I, I pray that they wouldn't, their minds wouldn't go, their hearts wouldn't go to doubt and fear, but, God, that they would go to, to courage and strength in faith trusting in their good Father who loves them. God, we thank you that we have a hope through faith in Jesus Christ. God, that hope does not disappoint, Lord, and we, we thank you for, for the fact that it wasn't something we could earn or ever achieve on our own, but God, you brought us to a place of realization where we knew we needed the gospel. We knew we needed Jesus, so thank you. Help us to continually humble ourselves before you that we would receive from you blessing and love and grace upon grace which we need. Fill us with that so that God, our hope would not disappoint, but our our hope would be lived out day by day, hoping in heaven and the total restoration of everything one day. God, today we remember, as in our worship folder, we have our prayer force alert for the persecuted church. God, we remember those who are in persecution right now, God, who who are meeting in secret churches around the world because uh, if they met publicly, they would likely be executed. God, be with them and strengthen them. For those who are imprisoned because of their faith Lord, or or suffering violence or extreme persecution, God, we we pray that you would help them be strong. God, I know for most of them, they they don't cry out that their persecution would end or their their trial would be over or the prison would would be set free. They, They pray for strength to endure and strength to proclaim your name until the very end of their days. God, as they do, as they are faithful, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of hope in Christ, the conviction of, of God and through the Spirit of God would go out into the world, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, driving them to their knees and driving them to, to you, the only hope they have. We thank you for that. God, we thank you that we can gather in a, in a country as of now, Lord, that we are free to gather and worship. May we not take that freedom for granted may we come with the same motives of of the churches in third world countries under extreme persecution, God, that our motive would be to gather together because the body of Christ is a gift to us. And as we gather together, we know that your spirit is here working in our midst. As we gather together, we do it in unity, reminding ourselves, God, of all the others who also believe. Strengthen us as we gather to praise your name, to lift you up. And God, as we go now into the time of your your word and looking, looking to your word for guidance and direction, God, I pray you would convict us convict us of sin and wrong thoughts, ways we had thought before that were were not correct. And God, drive us to a place of just repentant faith, that we would receive your word. God, as I bring the message today, Lord, this may be your message, not mine. God, I'm thankful for the opportunity to bring the word of God. But God, it would have been Alistair, so we pray for Alistair as well. You'd be near to him as he is is struggling, just uh, suffering with a, with a bug, Lord, and God. I pray you would bring healing to him. God, that he'd be back with us next week, Lord willing, God, to preach and teach us from your word. God, we pray that that happens right now as well, that we are, we are taught from your word. We commit this time to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to be in John chapter 6. If you would turn to John chapter 6 with me, I'd greatly appreciate that. John chapter 6, I got a phone call yesterday from Alistair and it's, on a Saturday, you know, you kind of wonder what's going on, we, we talk once in a while on Saturday, but he, uh, he is definitely ill and uh, trying to stay near um, hydration and um, facilities that he needs to be by, that's too much information, I don't know, but. Um, get that call, and I, I wondered, God, what do, what do you want to do? The first thing, you know, is I, I, there's anxiety. Oh, no, I got to preach the next day. And and God's like, no, it's it's okay. I'm, I'm going to preach, so just trust me. And, and then I'm like, well, do we, do we go forward with the Beatitudes? And I, I've i told Alistair for many, many uh, months I wanted to preach the Beatitudes because I, I love the Beatitudes. And I, I preach them often, and I bring them up often, and I, I just am tired of hearing myself say that, and I want to have it heard from someone else. So he is still going to stick with that next week. And as I thought about what, what do I preach and what do I, what do I teach on, And Jesus just reminded me to teach on him, on Jesus. And as I, as I, I drove, I was driving from an appointment, uh, heading back into town, and I, I drove right to my office, and I kind of knew that I, I needed to go towards a book I'd been reading. And actually, it's an audio book that I had listened to already and finished. It's a book I've read, and now it's a book I'm rereading and going through with, a, with another man in our church. Um, and it, the book is called Gentle and Lowly. I brought it today to show you. Um, I'm a little late to the game. Pastor Larry, who read our introduction uh, verse earlier and prayed, he, he brought this to the elders a couple years ago, I believe, and said, this is a great book. It'll change your mind. You got to check it out. And of course, I have books like this much on my desk, right? So it, we got there, and, I, and eventually I, I got to it, and it will change your mind. It'll change your life. And you gotta, you've got to read this book. You've got to listen to this book. Um, there's so much wisdom there, so much uh, just explanation of Christ's love for us. Um, and as I as I went to this passage, I'm like, "What what do I teach on this week, Lord?" And and it was one of the uh, the chapters that we we kind of just went through recently, and uh, or at least I did. And it was um, it was called that in He will no wise cast out, and or He will I will never cast out. The sermon title you'll see in your notes is I will in no wise cast out. That's King James, and and what it means is this: that that those who come to Christ, He will never cast out. But it's written in such a way it says I will in no wise cast out. That there's like this double negative Greek thing going on. Where Here's what it really means. Not, not the double negative that cancels it out, but that enforces it even greater. It's like, I will never, ever, know, never, never, ever cast you out. That, that's what's going on in this passage of Scripture. And I, and I think it's so important for us to get that and to realize that. Um, as I came to that uh, verse and I came to the passage and read through it, I was also a little bit uh, struck with there's other theology here that is very deep. And rich, and, uh, and something we're going to tackle a little bit today uh, on the theology of election because it's in the scripture. But I hope to harmonize that well for you to, and, and let the mystery of that be the mystery and let, the, let the, uh, the, the clarity of God's call to come to him be what we respond to. All right? So Gentle and Lowly, amazing book. I would really, really recommend that. Um, when we talk about people coming to Jesus, um, th- there's two kind of ways we can look at this probably more than that, but two ways I'm going to look at it today. There are those who came around Jesus just before John 6, 26. Uh, Jesus, the people are coming to him and they're questioning him, but they really want to see him do something spectacular. And what we see is that Jesus really is attracting people that come to him, but they're coming to him so that they can be in proximity to him. Right? They want to be around Jesus. They want to maybe get closer to Jesus. They want to maybe be healed by Jesus. They want to get close enough to see the miracle with their own eyes. It's the people who like proximity. It's the same is true today. I mean, people even in our churches come because they feel like, maybe I'll be closer to Jesus, in proximity to Jesus, if I come. But then there is the other group of people who come to Jesus from the heart. Not from a heart that just wants to see him do awesome circus tricks or be in proximity from a heart that says, there is no one else to turn to. I have seen no one else who can do what Jesus can do, and who gives rest the way Jesus gives. So I'm coming to him from the heart. And today that's very important for us to look at as we go through this passage of scripture. So we are in John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 26 through 40, and then we'll start to break that apart a little bit, just in two quick points for a sermon, okay? John 6, beginning in verse 26. These people found him, right? And they're asking him, well, you know, about what he does. And Jesus answered in 26, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. If we've learned anything by now, those are fighting words to the Pharisees, Right? What can we do, they asked. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do that we might see and believe you? They're not getting it, are they? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses... Uh, didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who, uh, who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, And yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never, ever, no, never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the Word of God. So, as we, as we look at this today, we're going we're to look at some of that, right? You can look at more of that on your own, but I, I really want us to see really two, two directions. Uh, the sermon title is I Will In No Wise Cast Out. And, and if you want to write just a note there, Jesus will never, ever, ever, ever cast you out. Right? And then we look at two areas that have to do with that, that we see in this verse 37. Really, 37 is our key text today. And so let's look at number one. He will in no wise cast out, number one, all the Father gives to him. So all that the Father gives to him, he will not cast out. And it says, all the Father gives to him will come to him. Let's look at, start at verse 32 again. Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. So uh, they, they said, oh, hey, Moses, he, he took care of us. No, no, God took care of you. God gave you the manna from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So as we talk about, I will in no wise cast out all the Father gives, I think it's important to back up a skosh and say, what is the Father giving, right? Not, not only to the Son, but to you and to me. Well, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You get You get that. Like, yes, the Father, he will cast out none that the Father will give him. But before that, the Father gives you and me the true bread from heaven. Praise God, that, that the Father is watching out for us. Not only does He care for the Son and giving the Son all things, He looks at you and me and says, they need bread from heaven, they need truth, and He gives us the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, the bread of God is. So who, what is the bread of God? Is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What is the bread we need? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bread now, now, here's the deal. The Father knows that the battle is in and for our heart. He knows it. I, I prayed earlier that we are so easily distracted. Our heart is so easily distracted every single day. Right? And, and even more so now that we have devices in, in all around us all the time. Information is just going in and going in and attacking us, distracting us from the truth of who God is. Those can be great tools, but, but too often I find that we are not, and I am not, using them as a tool they are being used in my life as a distraction from Satan to distract me away from the heart of the Father. So there's a battle for my heart, and He gives us, He gives you the true bread that we need. There's a battle raging, and the battle is, I don't, I don't want to choose God. I want to choose my own way. So He fights and says, no, here, here's, here's better bread. Whatever your way, whatever bread you thought your way was is not going to work out. Let me give you a better bread, the real bread, the true bread from heaven and they even responded to Jesus, right? They said, "Give us this bread, sir, sir, give us this bread always." And what did Jesus say? "I am the bread. I, I'm here. I am the bread. No one comes to me. Uh, no one who comes to me will ever go hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. Is there anything in your life other than Jesus that you could say can promise that and delivers? Not at all. Not at all. Verse 36. Here, this is tough to hear. verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me, and what? You don't believe. What did I say? The Father realizes there's a battle going on for our heart. There's a battle. We see Jesus. We hear about Jesus. You come here and sit in in proximity to Jesus, and Christ is proclaimed through the preaching and through songs and through prayer, and even as people give, and you watch people worship and be united, and you see Jesus, and yet you still don't believe. I don't know what else out there is so appealing, what else out there can actually fulfill. Oftentimes, that's why you're sitting where you are today, because we know better. Whether you absolutely know better, and you love Jesus with all your heart, and you know he's ultimately satisfying, and you come here saying that, or whether you're like, this is kind of my wit's end. I'm here today because it's my wit's end. I don't know what else to do. I'm glad that you're here. Jesus is glad that you're here. You know what he's saying? He's the bread. The, The battle wages on for your soul and the Father is warring against your, uh, your soul and your sin, and, and he sent the Son for you. And you can see him, and you can believe, and you can have life. That's the promise from the Father. He gives, he gives first to us because there's a battle uh, raging in us. He says, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. But then verse 37, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Let's talk about that all. All. the That's not all. Everybody. Right? Because we know not all people are going to receive Christ as Savior. Not all people are going to get to heaven. Scriptures say that wide is the path that leads to destruction and, and narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few, and few will find it. Few. But of those few that find it, the Father will make sure all of them get to Jesus. All of them will get to Jesus. All that come to me, will never. he will never cast out. So all is limited because... Uh, not all will come. It has to do with belief from verse 36, right? You see me and yet you do not believe. So we can see and believe or we can see and not believe or reject. That's kind of what we see, right? And and here's what happens. God is warring for your heart right now. God is warring for your heart. The Father sees your battle, sees the struggle, and he shows you the Son and says, here's the answer. He's warring for that. But eventually there will come a day where that war will be over. Your decision will have been made. And those who receive, the Father will give to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus would never cast out. And those who reject the Father, the Father will give to the Lord Jesus. And let's see what happens. So I want you to see that the that Father gives both groups of people to the Lord Jesus as a gift to the Son. Psalm 2, if you would turn there with me. Psalm chapter 2. Keep your ribbon here in in John 6. Bless you. I want to see what the Lord does here. What what, what happens? Because there's this war going on and and many see and not believe and some do believe. What, What about those who don't believe? Psalm 2 beginning in verse 7. We'll look at 7 through 9. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son and today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. What will he give to you? Everything. The Son gets everything. In verse 9, and you will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Do you want to be in that group of the all that are given to Jesus? No. Please say no. No. But there's judgment against sin. But that's that's why the Father sees the struggle. He knows that we struggle. And He sends the Son so you can have life. But if he sends the Son, and you see the Son, and you reject the Son, one day you're going to stand before the Son, and he will shatter you like pottery. Because you died in your sin, having rejected him, and rejected him, and rejected him. That's, that's an all that the Father gives. But there's more to it, right? There's, and, and Go to Matthew chapter 11. So the, uh, the Father gives those who reject to the Son and for judgment. The Father gives those who receive. Christ to the son and those who come to him he will never cast out in Matthew 11 we see a a Jesus Jesus is praying here and here's what he says Jesus said "I, I praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants now stop there for a minute as we get into this, as we, as we look at this, there are those hints of election, like the Father is choosing, the Father is making some blind, the Father is hardening some hearts. Listen, there is some Scripture that we just don't understand, that, that is a mystery of God. And if, if you were to ask me, Brandon, is it election or is it free will, I would look at you and say, yes. That's what I would look to. I, I have to, because Scripture says both things. And, and, but if I spend so much time trying to help you understand, trying to help me understand election— what i am what I feel I am trying to do is understand a mystery of God, and if and if he's God and I'm not God, I may never, ever, no, never, ever understand the mystery of God. I will only understand the things that He has clearly stated to me. Amen so election, yes, it's election. I don't know how that works totally i, I but i I totally know that in and of myself, I would have no capacity and no desire to receive Christ. I would reject Him every single day of my life, and I would never come to Him without Him. But thank God, He, the Father sends the Son. Thank God, the Spirit of God is here to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Thank God, He is drawing all men to Himself. But not all will receive Him. Not all will receive Him. But it is your responsibility, and it is my responsibility, to believe he, he's getting on them for not believed the gospel not you've seen me and not believed you and i have a clear clear responsibility to believe the gospel of jesus christ to turn away from our own idols and gods and repent and turn to him in faith amen so that's that's as clear as i'm going to get for you because i'm going to let god be a mystery in the things that he's a mystery because i'm not god he says, I praise you, Father, in heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the infants. What things? He's, the Father has sent the Son, hasn't He? He sent the Son. So what is He revealing to us? We need the Son. And, and who will reject the Son? The wise and intelligent. Oh, I, Why? Because I've got it all together. I have all the answers. I, I, can, I, I understand the doctrine of election better than you, and I, I know The wise and intelligent are those who are proud and arrogant. Who are the infants? Those who are dependent on their mother. Those who are are utterly helpless without help. They they need something. You see, you and I, if we don't ever need something, we'll never get the one we need. So Jesus says, God, thanks thanks for making this available to those who understand they have a need for something. And, And if the wise and intelligent would humble themselves and understand that they're not so wise and not so intelligent, they would become like infants as well. And they would be able to have that opportunity to to come to faith in Christ because their faith would be like a child and not of a proud doctorate program graduate. But like a child. So Jesus prays and says, God, thanks for making this available to those who know they need it. He goes on in verse 28. So the, the Father brings... Uh, all. these are and Who are the all that he brings to the Son? Well, those who reject, right? But here he brings all of those who are infants, humble and weak, who would rely on him for salvation. And he says in verse 28 of Matthew 11, come to me. Who is he talking to? Any who would hear. Any who would not be proud or arrogant or wise or intelligent. Anyone that would choose to be like an infant, with faith like a child. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden or heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Right? The Father sees there's a battle for our souls. And He offers the Son to you and I. If we would humble our hearts and slow our hearts and stop thinking we're all that, and we would come to Him and say, I, I, I need Jesus. I need, I'm weary. I'm weak. I am, I'm arrogant. I'm heavy laden. I'm burdened. I need rest. And if we come to Him, we come to Him in that, He will give us rest. Rest for our souls. And that, that's that second part of that promise. All who come to Him, He would never, ever, no, never, cast out. So let's look at this progression. The Father gives the Son to the world, but before that the Father sees the battle going on in the world and that there's a need for life. So he gives the Son to the world. That's that's what he gives first and then the world then receives or rejects the Son. How that doctrine of election, how that doctrine of salvation totally occurs is kind of a mystery, right? We'll talk about it. What is clear though? The world receives or rejects the Son. And those who turn to the Son in faith are given life and are given uh, by the Father then to the Son. And the Son will not cast them out. The one who comes to the Son will find rest. And the Son will never, no, never cast you out. Now, I want to go to a passage in Ephesians because I I think this helps us understand the war that's going on and the need that we all have. So Ephesians 2, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read part of this passage. <clears throat> it, it, for some, they're like, I, I don't get this. I don't get what it's saying. This seems like it's pretty harsh. That's probably for the proud and the arrogant, the, the wise in their own estimation, the learned, right? That, they would think that. But for, for those who have known that they have a need, who understand how far away from God they are, they will get this. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you... You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Now stop right there. What, what does this picture reveal to us? Our desperate Desperate, desperate need for a Savior. Before Christ, before coming to seeing Him and coming to Him in faith, this is us at war with God. I mentioned this earlier, but this is, this is the picture of it. We are at war with, with God. We are, we are subjecting ourselves to the ruler of the power of the air, the Spirit now working in the disobedient. We are inclined towards our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We are children under wrath, under the wrath of God. That's how separated we are and and removed from God we are because of our sin. That's the battle that's being waged. But God, the Father, looks down and sees us and sees the battle. And and then he goes to war for our souls and he sends us Jesus. He offers us Jesus. And that's where we pick up in verse 5 of Ephesians uh, 2. Here's what the Father does. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Isn't that amazing? He saw us. He saw how broken we were, how horrible we were, how, re- how much we rejected him every single day. We've turned from him and, and we'll turn from him again. He looked at that and saw us. But God who's rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our sins. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Whose grace? God's grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ. It's like this. He's like, I saved them and now I'm going to show them off and show them how, how horrible they were about how great Jesus is. Look how rich my mercy is. Even Brandon's up there. That, that's what he's saying. Like he, Paul understands that more than anyone. Anyway, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. I'd like to have an arm-wrestling match with him for that title, by the way. But the chief of all sinners can still be saved by grace because we all need God's grace. And through, through, through us coming to him in faith, and we'll, we'll see that here, see, we're saved by grace, Right? And he wants to display the immeasurable kindness that he's given to us through Christ. In verse 8, he says, you are saved by grace. Again, he says it again. You're saved by grace through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. You, you and I are saved by God's grace through faith in him. We, God's grace is being poured out, poured out and lavished on anyone who would receive it. But not all will. Not all will turn to him and say, how gracious of you, God. You're amazing. You're so kind and loving and gentle and merciful. I I want more of you. No, they look to him and say, I don't have a problem. Get out of my face. That's not faith. That's not belief. That is rejection of the Messiah, the one God the Father sent and gave to you so that one day you could believe and he could give you to Jesus. Where are you at on that spectrum? Where are you at on that line of belief or unbelief? That's between you and God. The world rejects God, but in mercy, the Father gives us the Son. And the Father gives us the Son, and then the world receives or rejects the Son. and, And those who turn to the Son in faith are given life, and are given then by the Father to the Son. And those who come to the Son, He will never cast out. He will never cast out. I want to go to John chapter 3. We're going to sing this later on. John chapter 3, kind of a famous verse in there somewhere. There's more to John 3 than John 3, 16, by the way. You need to read all of it. It's all good. <clears throat> but John 3, we're going to look at verse 14. What does this promise? Because this is, what I'm, what I'm telling you now is the clarity of the gospel. It's that you are a sinner and I am a sinner and that Jesus came to save us from our sins and that if we believe in him, we'll be forgiven and we'll have life. And you need to believe in him. That is so much more clear than the doctrine of election. So much more clear. So we're going to rest on that, and we're going to hound on that, and we're going to preach that and teach that, and we are going to urge that to all people. Christ says that we are ambassadors pleading with others on Christ's behalf that they be reconciled to God. We, as Christians, have the greatest job in the world. We get to tell people that their sins can be forgiven. Have those conversations. Don't sit back thinking, well, I don't know if they're elect or not. I don't care. Go. Go. Go share the gospel with people who need Jesus. Where was I? John 3.16. 3.14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see that? And this is the atonement of God, right? The, snake, the, the, the snakes went out and bit the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. Why? Because they were rebelling against God, disobeying God, dishonoring God. And God's like, I'm going I'm to judge you. And so they got bit. You know, kind of how when your bad things you do kind of bite you, right? That's not—but this is—they're perishing. So Moses pleads with God. God, what do we do? What, what should I—he's like, well, fashion a snake and put it uh, around a stick. It's kind of weird. to put, Take an idol, make an idol, and raise it up on a stick and tell the people, if they look at that in faith, they'll be healed. But this snake is kind of interesting, right? Moses lift, as, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness— so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What was Jesus lifted up on? A cross, right? A stick, a wooden stick. Jesus was lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. He didn't die on that cross for fun. Well, He, he did for the joy set before Him. He didn't die, it was not fun to die on that cross. He didn't die on that cross for His own sins. He died on that cross for yours and for mine. He, he was an atonement. He He was the payment for our sin, for my sin, and for your sin. He paid for that. He bled for that. He died for that. He was buried for that. And then proving He was God, He raised from the dead to conquer that. So that you and I can have life. John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way. Which way? He gave. Again, you see the Father giving us. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone... Who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I love this verse. This answers the question to me who are the elect? I'll stop with the election after this, okay? Who are the elect? Whosoever believes in him are the elect. That's who, whosoever believes in him. And it goes on, for God did not send his son, give his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him, is not content, condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Now, I want to stop here. This goes back to what we just read in Ephesians. Before Christ, we were like outside of God's will, sinners, always inclined to evil and the, and the fleshly desires of our heart. This is what he's saying. God didn't come in there and say, you're so condemned, you're so condemned. God came in, and we were already condemned. We were already under judgment. We had already rejected Christ. And so, believing in him, that removes that condemnation, but not believing, we still stand already condemned because we have not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But but this should show us that God loves us. His desire is, is to give himself to us because there is a war going on for our souls, a war that we have already lost by the way. We've already lost. We're already separated from God. We're already condemned. We're already under judgment. But God is running to our rescue. God is running to our rescue. The Father is at work, and the Son is working with the Father for your redemption. And His promise is that He will not cast you out if you come to Him. Now, the argument can be made because of the mere fact of stating that He will never cast us out. He understands. Like when Jesus says, I will never cast you out, it's not just a statement of fact. He's understanding that my fears say that he might cast me out. Like, if he really knew, or if I did something so, so bad, he's gonna, he's, what's he going to do with me? He's going to cast me out. Now, the promise is not there to, to like just be wishy-washy. The promise is there to say, even in your fear of being cast out, even in your, in your knowledge of yourself, When you come to him, you will never be cast out, and it should break to pieces any objection that you have or that I have if we really come to him. That leads us to number two. Let's talk about number two. I will in no wise cast out, number two, the one who comes to me. Really, that was number one, but number two again, right? We see that all the Father gives, and really the Father starts by giving what? The Son to us because we have a need. And when we believe, he gives us all who believe to the Son. And the one who comes to him, Jesus, he'll never cast him out. Look at John 6, 38 240. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never, ever, no, never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not only to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose any of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So we, we just kind of got done talking about, like, believe, believe, come to Him, right? And we'll get back into that in a minute. There's a, a slight segue here. And, and the segue is this. He will not cast you out. And we doubt that, and we struggle with that. The Father is warring for our souls, and the, and the question is, is whether or not we will humble ourselves and surrender to him, or if we're going to fight him all the more in our pride and sin. If, if you humble yourself and come to him, he will not cast you out. Now, you think of the text that we just read. I'll never cast you out. I'll not lose any that he has given to me. I will raise them up on the last day. The one who believes will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is a, is a passage about assurance. That when you come to him, he will not cast you out. You are in him. But there is an invitation to that. I'm going to read out of Revelation 22. You can hang out where you are here for a minute. He says, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to their work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God's a big deal, right? He's saying, I'm I'm everything. He says, blessed, in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. There's a need, right? We've identified there is a need for us to have been washed and cleaned. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the city gates, because he'll never cast out. But outside, those that are cast out, they don't have their robes cleaned. Right? When you come to Jesus, your robes get cleaned. But outside, listen to who's outside. Because you you I'm not gonna look at you and say, It's okay, your robes are clean, you're in. I don't know if your robes are clean. I don't I don't you do, you should. Outside, the ones that are cast out are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So now you can kind of test yourself. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things for you, uh, to you for the churches. So, so we're being told this right now from the Word of God. that There's some that have robes that are clean and some that don't. And he goes on, he, he says, Um, I I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. Again, telling us how great He is and that He is the Messiah. He's the one we need to believe in. And and He says, both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Come. He's inviting. And and that we as the bride of Christ and the Spirit of God is in the world should be inviting people. Come to Jesus. Come and find rest. And anyone who comes to Him, guess what? You'll never be cast out. Come, the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." Let anyone who hears say, "Come." Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take from the water and of life freely, freely. There is life to be had in Jesus. And my hope is that most of you in this room are like, "Yeah, I've got that. I just drink from that every day. I am filled to the brim with life in Jesus. My robes are clean. Hallelujah! He will never cast me out." And this is just like preaching to the choir, and we're going to sing in a minute. Be the choir. But for the rest, if you don't have that rest. You don't have Jesus. He said, come. don't get, Stop being the ones outside. Stop being the, the dogs, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters. Stop practicing falsehood. Stop, stop resisting and rejecting Jesus. Come. Come and be filled. Come and find rest. Come and I will never cast you out. John wrote in, in John 1 about the Messiah. He was in the world. And though the world was created through him, uh, the world did not recognize him. And he came to his own And his own people did not even receive him. Again, are you a person that's coming to be in proximity of Jesus? Or are you coming with a heart that says there's nothing else besides Jesus? came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. But but to all who did receive, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who would believe in his name, they were not born of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but they were born by the will of God. They were born again. You can reject him or you can receive him. Rejection is out of fear and receiving him is in faith. But why do we fear being cast out? Let's, let's deal with that now, finally. Why do we fear being cast out? I think fear, fear comes from our own human inability, our own human limitations. I know how fallible I am. Even if I pretend I'm smart and the wisest, right on the best, I have to look myself in the mirror in the morning and the evening. And I have to, I have to know and look in there and say, I, you know what, I'm not all I'm cracked up to be. I'm, I'm fallible. In my reality, in our reality, we understand that every human relationship has its limitations, right? And a, there's a point in every relationship that we have of no return. We can harm a relationship so far to the point of no return that that person will cast us out. Or that we think, if that person does such and such, I'm done with them, I'm casting them out, right? If, if we think that's just how we are. We're human. But it's not so with Christ. It's not so with Christ. I'm going to read an excerpt here in a minute. Uh, Dane Ortland says this, uh, the author of this book. He says, when it comes to Christ, our sins, our weaknesses, are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required, first at our conversion, and then a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon our death. The only thing required to enjoy his love is to come to him. That's it. that's it. We're to embrace him from the heart. And when we do, he holds on tightly. Psalm 63.8 says, I follow close to you. And, and the CSB, which I love, doesn't do this translation justice. I follow close to you. What it really means is my soul clings to you. I follow you like, like that puppy who says, you are my deepest desire, my best friend, biggest passion, all of my emotion, all of my heart is behind you. That's what, that's what the psalmist says there. I follow close to you. My soul clings to you. And then it says, as my soul clings from the heart to you, but your right hand holds on to me. Like We aren't those, those kids that are, like my kid, he gets his around my leg and I'm like, I'm pulling him. You know Yeah, you do that across this living room floor and he's, that's what kids do. No, I, God's like, if you're holding on to me. Guess what? I'm holding on to you. I'm not going to let you go, but come to me with your heart and, and, and your soul and hold me close. I'm going to read a passage, or a passage, a part of this book. Uh, This word, in in no wise, he will in no wise cast out, cuts the throat of all objections. And it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end. And to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. That's you and I. And, um, And it is, as it were, the sum of all promises. Neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that you find yourself in, uh, that this promise will not assoil, not not take care of. Here here are some objections. But but I am a great sinner, you say. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. Uh, But I am a hard-hearted sinner, says you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, says you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have served served Satan all my days, says you. I will in no wise cast you out. But I have sinned against light. I will in no wise cast you out. I have sinned against mercy, says you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast you out. We say, "But I," and he says, "I will never cast you out." Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories uh, of flesh resistances or of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. Bunyan, who's another author, John Bunyan, understands this, understands us. He knows we tend to deflect Christ's assurances. Here's what Bunyan says. No, wait, we say cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I really messed up in all kinds of ways. I I know, he responds. You know most of it for sure, certainly more than what others do, but there's a perversity down deep inside of me hidden from everyone. I know it all, Jesus says. Well, the thing is, it's, it's just my past. It, it, it's not just my past. It's my present too. I understand, replies Christ. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavier and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. He replies, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Come to Him. Come to Him. Romans 8.1 says, When we do, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with, with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? There's the word again. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He will in no wise cast out. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. The answer, what can separate us? Who can separate us? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, that neither neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Or, Orland, um, Orland concludes in his book, he says, for those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental space. It, it is now your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort." no matter our spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. And everyone the Father gives the Son will come. And the one who comes, he will never, ever, no, never, cast out. Amen. I'm going to pray for us in a minute. Our worship team, I'm going to invite them to come back up. Um, I'm going to have, actually, David and Lori Holst will come up today as we stand in prayer. They're going to be up front just available for prayer. We, we, we understand that this time right now is a time to respond to God. the time for us to, to, to put right what we had maybe all wrong. And, and I urge you, come to Jesus. And the Father has given the gift of the Son to you that you could come to Jesus. So we want you to come to Jesus and find freedom. Let's stand together as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your your grace and your mercy. We thank you that that you are are giving us the son and you see the war that's going on for our souls and God, the war sometimes we don't even see. God, help us to humble ourselves, not be wise or intelligent in our own thinking, but help us to humble ourselves and to, to pursue you, to love you more deeply, to cherish you. God, help us to come to you. And God, the promise is that when we come to you, you will never, ever cast us out. We thank you for that. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing these first.